The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a wonderful guest with us, Genpo Mertzel Roshi. He is a Zen master and founder of the Kansion International Sangha. He's developed the Big Mind Process, which is a composite of Zen and Western psychological techniques, which we'll learn all about. And he's a, an author of multiple books, his most recent being Big Mind, Big Heart, Finding Your Way. Roshi, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Cheryl. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you here. Now, tell us where you are today. Well, I'm actually in my cabin, which is uh, in Big Cottonwood area above Salt Lake. I'm up about 8,000 feet, snuggled up to the ski resort called Solitude. Right now, it's just another three miles. And it's just a fantastic day. It's in the low 60s here and absolutely clear air. And you might even be able to hear the stream. I'm sitting inside, so it doesn't overpower us, uh, but it's, it's uh, just amazing. Oh, wonderful. Well, what a great place to be. So you must be in between travel and, and all of your teachings. Yes, I leave Thursday for the East Coast and then off to Hawaii again. Oh, wonderful. So, so there is so much to learn about you and the work you do, Roshi. I had the pleasure of um, sitting in a group that about a month ago in New Mexico, the Transformational Leadership Council, and you spoke with us and took us through a wonderful process that um, you will introduce here a little bit later. You know, I... I found your presence so touching because you are so authentic and grounded, and um, you don't often find that in big teachers, what I call big teachers. And so I was compelled to ask you to be with us so that our listeners can learn more about not who you are, but you know, a little bit about how to be in the world and as people look for their own way. So... Let's talk a little bit. Well, let's start way back at the beginning. You know, you were not born into this discipline of Zen. You um, had a very typical American childhood, from what I've read. Tell us a little bit about your growing up life and, and then how you got to your interest in Zen. Sure. Um, well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York in 44, June of 44, and before I was a year old, my parents decided to move to California, and we actually bought a triplex in East L.A. or Boyle Heights area in Los Angeles, and 
at some point we moved to Long Beach, California, and I grew up there, and I was uh, very interested in athletics. Uh, that kind of has been uh, something that's been with me my entire life, and I started competing in swimming and water polo at the age of 13, 14, and 15, um, and that became pretty much the focus of my life until I was about 26, uh, even though I, I went on to uh, go through university and get a master's at USC, I still was very focused on on sports. And in 1971, uh, I went off to the desert with uh, two friends of mine. And uh, while I was there, um, I had a very profound experience I'd been teaching school in Long Beach, California, and Los Angeles. I started off actually teaching in Watts uh, in 1966, right after the Watts riots in 65. That must have been an amazing experience. It was. It was an an amazing experience. It was a wonderful experience. Mm. Um, I I really felt I learned a lot from that. so I was teaching school and I was lifeguarding and I was still competing in swimming and water polo events. And uh, I went off to the desert and I had an awakened experience. Uh, I wasn't seeking that. I was actually trying to just figure out my life. Um, I was 26 years old. I had uh, a really nice job. I had tenure or I was about to have a tenure. I can't remember. Uh, as a teacher, and I was having troubles in my relationship, and I was, I was really contemplating how could I screw up my life so badly by the time I'm just 26 years old, and, and being, feeling so trapped uh, in my, my own life and in my relationship. And I didn't really see the suffering aspect. It took me probably another six or eight years to see that. But what I did see was the feeling of being trapped. And so I started contemplating on my life as as my friends went off hiking. Uh, I was just sitting there alone on this mountaintop. And I had what we call an awakened experience. Uh, I dropped off the self-consciousness, and I became one with the universe, one with the cosmos, um, a universal love experience or truth or whatever we call it, enlightened mm-hmm. experience. And it really completely turned my life around. Um, and as I said, that was February of 1971, and my life has been on a whole new course since that moment. Uh, and I could kind of articulate that very briefly. What happened showed me that there was a whole other reality to life that I had not even thought about or known about or conceived. And it put things in clarity and perspective and simplified life in a way that was so profound and so meaningful that there was a need to share that with others. Hmm. And so I guess you could say I, I kind of started to proselytize uh, that we can all wake up. I mean, yeah. if it happened to me, anyone could wake up. And, mm-hmm. and it's like 
reading the greatest book you've ever read or seeing the finest movie or listening to the greatest piece of music and wanting to share that with others because it brings you so much joy and happiness. And so that's been what I've been doing since 71. I, I, I went off and I lived as a hermit in the mountains from oh, September of 71 to June of 72. And then I met my teacher, actually, while I was there um, in that uh, 10 months or 9 months. I actually went down to Los Angeles and I met my Zuni Roshi and I met one of his teachers, a man by the name of Corey Roshi. Roshi means the master. Mm-hmm. And I sat with them for uh, a week, a week retreat, and then went back to my mountain cabin and then moved in in August of 72 and studied with him until his death, which was uh, May of 95. Mm. Wow. You know, I we hear so often about um, people who become teachers and who um, have real message to share that they somehow discovered this message or discovered this path, whatever it may be, while they were sitting by themselves, way out in nature, maybe a mountaintop. I mean, you know, the the, the story is it, it can be told time and time again, you know, just kind of replace the teacher's name. Why right. is it? Why is it that it happens that way? Well, I think you just said it, you know, being in nature and being alone. Uh, I think it's an ingredient, or two ingredients, that really prepare, let's say, the soil for something to come out of it. And and because my friends left, that was a a very key point. If they hadn't gone off hiking for the day, uh, I don't think this would have happened. And if I wasn't in the desert, I was out at the Mojave Desert near Jawbone Canyon, uh, and quite alone, and, and, and in the in the silence of the desert, the quietness of the desert, and therefore having that time to introspect and the time to turn one's mind inward and illuminate something beyond the self, something beyond our limited and small self or small mind, to what I now have labeled. Uh, big mind or big heart or the big mind, big heart process. Well, you know, some would say that at 26 years old, um, that's pretty advanced for someone of that age to actually be able to learn that about themselves, to have enough capacity to, even in that time by yourself in the desert, to, to see what was going on with yourself, to even be interested in that. Well, um, I don't know. I felt like a late bloomer, frankly. (laughs) I felt like a lot of people were much more introspective at an earlier age. Mm -hmm. And maybe because my focus for the first 26 years was very uh, extroverted and external. In other words, I was was really going for the Olympics and... um, In 1968, uh, I was on a team that did make it. I had to quit in 1967. I couldn't keep up the workout uh, training because I'd just gotten married in 66. And uh, I was at USC Graduate School. I was working in Watts. 
and I was lifeguarding. I mean, I was just doing too much. I'm a kind of one of these overachievers, I guess. <laughs> uh, and I, I was, I had my hands full to keep up when we went yeah. to keep up with the training schedule. When we went to twice a day. I was fine with the once a day, but when we went to twice a day and we were working towards the Olympics, I had to just quit, uh, which was very sad because our team went on to make the Olympics and actually uh, I believe we got second place that, that time. Wow. So, so um, I was so focused on what you might say achieving or goals or I was very ambitious, um, and the experience in the desert was a total 180-degree shift for me. It was like I had been going full tilt ahead, 180 miles an hour, and all of a sudden I found myself in about face and looking up and seeing a world, a universe, a reality that I had never even dreamt of, where other people maybe had childhood experiences or maybe glimpsed at something beyond I hadn't. And so for me it was jolting. It was it was mind blowing. And so it became my whole life's work from that moment on. So do you think that you moved into the Zen Buddhist tradition based on the fact that you ran into this teacher, that you came upon this teacher, I mean, you didn't seek it out, right? Right. Um, well, it's a little difficult to even know right. why or how, but I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it as best as I can. So when I had this experience, my friend, who was a Ph.D. in psychology and later became a union analyst, said to me that evening when we got back together, this just was like late morning that I went off alone, he said, you know, it sounds like you've had a Zen experience. Mm. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, in Zen they talk about an enlightened experience where the way you're talking now sounds like the Zen masters of old. And so that kind of headed me in a direction. Now, Six months prior to that experience, I was actually at a friend's home who also is now a Zen teacher, uh, and I was at his home, and he had two books on his coffee table. One was called The Way of Zen, and I can't remember which one was which, and the other one, well, the one book was by D.T. Suzuki, who is a, a Zen uh, a writer, uh, translator, one of the greatest ones, and Alan Watts, and they both had the title Zen in them, The Way of Zen and, and Essays on Zen or something like that. Right. And I said, well, what is Zen? So this was six months prior to my experience, and he said to me something I thought was very profound. He said, it looks to me, because I've been studying it, like Western psychology, Western science, Western spirituality, Western medicine uh, are all pointing in the direction of Zen. Hmm. And that really stuck with me. They're all pointing in the direction of Zen. Right. And, and I think there's a lot of people who would now, 40 years later, agree with that statement. Uh, I certainly would. 
Uh, and so those two things maybe were seeds, but I started to read right after the experience in the desert. Uh, first book I read was a book he gave me, my friend Kirk Gowitz, Dr. Gowitz. He gave me the book Siddhartha, and I read that. Uh, and yeah. then and then I started reading D.T. Suzuki and Alan Watts and many others, in, including uh, some of the great psychologists and therapists like Maslow and others and Jung. And a lot of them talked about Zen, Eric Fromm, uh, Fritz Perls. Um, and so I started to move in that direction, even though I also read, like, biographies of a yogi, and I read right. many, uh, many other disciplines, Zen seemed to correspond with the experience that I had in the desert the closest. Well, and this really um, explains your approach, which is combining the Zen tradition with insights um, from those um, great thinkers, Karik, Young, Fritz Perls, etc., because um, they all talked about finding your true nature, being true to yourself. Absolutely. And, yeah, so I, I see how that happens. So yeah, we're going to talk more about this and yeah. more about Big Mind when we come right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Did you know that the number one concern of American business is the ability to attract and retain qualified workers? Yet millions of qualified American workers with disabilities are sitting on the sidelines. Disabilities at Work Radio focuses on businesses and their workforce needs and also offers other topics of interest to people with disabilities, their families, and supporters. Join Disabilities at Work Radio every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking today with... Genpo Mertzel Roshi. Roshi, we've been talking about how you came to 
um, the transformation you went through and how you came to the, the Zen studies and ultimately became a Zen master. And in 1982, um, you founded uh, a Sangha, an international group, and you named that Sangha Kanzion Sangha. Kanzion is Japanese for love and compassion, or stands for that, right? Correct. And Sangha is community. And, uh, yeah, I chose that name. I was really struggling with uh, what to call our group. It was an international group based in Europe for the most part, but I had been, and I still was in 82, living in Los Angeles. I didn't move to Europe until 84. And I was struggling with a name, and the Zen tradition that I was raised in is a very uh, very samurai-like tradition. You know, the Japanese Zen is very disciplined. It's also very young, very masculine. Mm. And and in fact, the the Bodhisattva statue that we normally have in the meditation hall, <coughs> which we call the Zendo, is usually uh, Manjushri Bodhisattva, which Bodhisattva means... Uh, a hero, someone who gives their life towards serving others, serving uh, the awakening of others. That's what a bodhisattva is. And Manjushri is the bodhisattva of wisdom. So I wanted to balance that masculine or yang energy with a much more feminine uh, yin energy. And so I chose Kanzion because Kanzion is the feminine side of that wisdom, it's the compassion. The Kanzion, his or herself, can be either masculine or feminine. But when we talk about Kanzion in the name that I gave our Sangha, we always refer to her as a she, uh, to give us that feminine balance. Mm, that's wonderful. So, I mean, which is interesting because you spend a lot of your time, you know, in sports being using a lot of your masculine trait, you know, a lot of your competitive side, a lot of your goal orientation. And um, so it's interesting that you, you shifted into this, this side of your being. Well, you might say there was a kind of innate wisdom there that I knew I needed to balance mm. uh, that yang or masculine energy with uh, a more feminine energy. Uh, and it's turned out to be very true uh, that uh, not only by the name, but also a uh, number of experiences I had. I had a very profound experience in 1994 where I got very much in touch with my feminine energy. And in fact, so much so that it took me about 15 years to finally balance the two out, which was only a year ago, June. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, what did it look like? What did it look like when you, you, know, you were able to get in touch with that feminine energy and then hold that for that long? Well, it, it looked a lot like becoming very open and receptive and uh, very much more yielding and compassionate and loving in a supportive way and much less kind of samurai or athletically you know, kind of the competitor and all those masculine energies that you mentioned. Uh, but I also felt like I had shifted so much that I also uh, felt rather confused uh, because of this shift in energy, which was so profound, 
that I was a little bit lost for a while on how to really integrate it all and how to really work with it all. And um, my my community, um, well, we went through quite a transformation. We became much more uh, externally oriented. In other words, we opened up our community really to the whole Salt Lake community, the whole Salt Lake City, but also to the world, and we tore down the monastery walls. Until 1994, uh, I worked with smaller groups of people in a very monastic way. In fact, we had 50, 49 monks living in Salt Lake City at that point, uh, all practicing night and day. And after that experience, I threw down the walls and I, I opened it up and a lot of those people actually left, and the community started coming more. Oh, interesting, interesting. So it and had so an, external, an external manifestation of this internal process that I went through. Right. And so now you said that, you know, until about a year ago, um, you, you finally moved into a more balanced state. So what does that look like? Well, you know, it, in June of of last year, I felt it was complete. I've been moving into the balanced state more for 15 years. Um, so it wasn't like um, all of a sudden I was balanced. Right. But in a way, it did feel all of a sudden that it was complete. Uh, and now there just feels to be, to be both energies readily accessible to go in a more feminine way or a more masculine way depending on the situation and what's needed and called for. Uh, and the masculine energy is back, um, but it's there, it's there, I think, and I hope, in a compassionate way with wisdom, uh, more so and more balanced than it was, say, five years ago or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So what do you think attracts the Western mind to Eastern traditions? Well, I think it's the depth of the wisdom of the East, the non-dual, you know. Uh, our Western tradition is obviously based on duality. And, of course, if you go into a lot of w- most Western religions, even the word non-dual is not very much appreciated. And I've been warned not to use it, so I, nobody mm. listening has heard it. I didn't say it. Uh, but it's... <laughs> It's a it's an experience of being one with the cosmos, one with God, rather than an external God, uh, or that the universe is outside ourselves. It's really what is absolutely essential if this planet and our species is going to make it on this planet that we see that we're all interconnected, that we are all interdependent and that we can't live without the trees or without the air or without clean water, uh, and we can't live without insects and we can't live without animals. And we can't, you know, we're all totally interdependent. Um, and it's to have that as a full-body experience, not just a, a conceptual understanding that we're all one or we're all interdependent, but an experience that goes so deep that it can't be denied that we're, we're all really one mind, one body, one spirit. So in 94, 
you know, being in touch with that and opening very much more and opening up your community, sometime in there um, you developed what's called the Big Mind Process. Talk to us about that. Well, yes, okay. Um, That process started way, way back, but it was only in June of 99, and these always seem to coincide with my five- and ten-year birthdays. So in June of 95, uh, excuse me, in 99, I was uh, 55. And that other experience I mentioned in 94, I was 50. Uh, and they were all right around my birthday. And the one I just mentioned about the integration was right around, in fact, it was on my birthday on June 3rd, of last year, uh, 2009. So I don't know what that means. But anyways, um, you know, I started Gestalt therapy when my father died in 68. I was 24 years old. And then I started studying with Hal and Sidra Stone in uh, 93 and 94, excuse me, 83 and 84. And I took the Zen approach uh, and the wisdom of Zen and somehow integrated that with the Western uh, technique of voice dialogue and, and a lot of Carl Jung's work and uh, Fritz Perl's work and, of course, Alan Sidra Stone's work. And it came together in 99, and I discovered that I could help a person access their innate wisdom or the wisdom of the ages in a very, very easy, skillful way that normally takes just years and years of meditation practice or other disciplines to get to. Mm. And I could do it in a matter of minutes. Really? Uh, And I realized when I was doing, I was working with a group of about 80, 85 people, and I was working with one particular individual in the group And I asked to speak to Big Mind. And the moment I did, and he said, well, I am Big Mind, he was there. And I realized that this simple process of just asking to speak to a voice or an aspect, and by giving the individual permission, which is a key word here, asking and permission, asking to speak to, using the word, please, may I speak, to big mind, and then saying, you you know, I don't have to say it, but giving them that permission to do that, they're able to access a much bigger perspective, in fact, a perspective that is limitless and beyond boundaries. Hmm. And when I did that with him, I realized I had hit a gold bank, that this made everything that I had been trying to do in a traditional way possible in such an easy and non-threatening manner. Mm. And so I started experimenting with it, and I gave it the name, The Big Mind Process, and it's just been developing for 11 years now. And what we found is literally millions of people have done this process now, either through the Internet or DVDs that they put out or live TV that we also offer for free. Mm-hmm. or in person, literally millions of people have actually found that they're able to make a shift in their perspective 
a shift in their consciousness very similar to what happened to me in the desert in 71. Oh, interesting. So I know that there's been a lot of, not a lot, but there's been some controversy over this process and that um, some who are traditional um, students of Zen um, criticize it for being too simple, too simplistic. One in particular. (laughs) 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 He's had a very loud voice. Uh, And... um, yeah, I would say there's one in particular. I'm sure there are others, but one has been very verbal, uh, and only one that's been very verbal. Uh, but yes, and, and, you know, frankly, I would have had the same critique of it, say, 12, 15 years ago. Um, it is so simple and so immediate, it actually makes one into a skeptic. How can this be so? Particularly when, let's say, a person like this has been working maybe 20 years or 15 years in a Zen monastery in Japan and being hit by a Kiyosaku, the stick, and sitting hours after hours and have had no or little realization. And then to see people in groups of 100, 200, 400, the largest group I worked on was 450 people, uh, and all having spontaneous awakening experiences, it's a little mind-blowing unless you go back to the life of the Buddha. And the Buddha, in all of the teachings, he was teaching in the various places, and they say 1,000 people attained enlightenment, 500 arhats attained enlightenment. So it's not the first time in history that this has been done. However, if you haven't had that experience and you've been trying to, desperately to have a profound awakening and you haven't succeeded, uh, it's going to be a little threatening and um, a little unbelievable that this could work. So tell us about the process. So I'll tell you about the process. Really, anybody can do it. Um, It's simply what I'm going to be doing is just ask to speak to an aspect of the self. I call it a voice. And when the person speaks as that voice, and they say, well, okay, now I am, let's say it's big mind, now I am big mind, they're no longer identified with the self. They're now identified only as the voice that I asked to speak to. And it's kind of like pulling out one employee from a company and saying, may I interview you? And the employee comes into your office and you say, okay, well, your job is, let's say, to be the controller of the company. What do you do? Well, as a controller, I do this, this, and this. And you just speak as that employee rather than as the whole company because you don't necessarily, you can't speak as the whole company. You're just one voice in that company representing the company and maybe working for the company, but you can't speak for the whole company. That's as simple as it is. Oh, so so you could actually take me through this. I could, if you would like me to, and you could think about, you know, I mean, I know a little bit about your audience, and you said they're very big thinkers uh, and professional people, uh, a lot of leaders. I could do something around that. I could do, I'll give you some examples of what we could do in a very short time. We could look at the, the mind that's in the working world. You know, I call it the marketplace mind. Right. And we could look at the awakened mind and then 
We could uh, look at those two as one. We can also look at one that's confused or maybe uh, has confusion in their life and the awakened one. Uh, we can also look at the limited mind and the big mind. So there's a lot of choices that we have. I've yeah. got, you know, almost <laughs> thousands of choices. But, <laughs> but, we can, we can, but we can look at any of that. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to see what Roshi comes up with here. We'll be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. If you're looking to improve your business results and get the truth about your business performance, then tune in each week to The Smart Behaviors Radio Show with host Joe Takish. Each week, a high-profile guest with a proven track record will discuss successful behaviors that will improve your business objectives and your bottom line. Tune in to The Smart Behaviors Radio Show every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and today our guest is Genpo Murto Roshi. Now, Roshi, we talked about the big mind process, and you have offered to demonstrate this using me, and I am a very willing volunteer here. Um, so, so you said that we should pick a specific mind. There are many, many minds that, that we are made up of, and um, so we've decided to pick the thinking mind. Okay. Um, so let's do this. If you don't mind, would you allow me to please speak to the thinking mind, Cheryl? Yes. Okay. So you are? I am the thinking mind. All right. So let's start with who are you not? If you're the thinking mind, who aren't you? I am not the feeling mind. That's right. Uh, I am not the knowing mind. That's right. I am not the intuitive mind. Okay. And one more I'll just throw out there. You're not the self. True. 
Okay, so you have a thinking mind. Well, who do you work for? Who do I work for? I who, who, who are you trying to serve? Uh, the self? Yeah. Okay, so you have a thinking mind, and your job is to serve the self. Now, tell me about your relationship with the self. How does the self appreciate you, have respect for you? Tell me a little bit about that. Is the self ever upset with you or want more of you than you can deliver? Just talk to me a little bit as the thinking mind. Well, I really try to carefully provide information for the self because what I know is that I can protect. If if the self would listen to me, then I can protect. And sometimes when the self isn't listening to me, then I just keep thinking things over and over and over again until the self will get it. And a lot of times it doesn't get it. And that, you know, really is irritating. So that during those times when I'm being told to shut up, I don't feel very appreciated. Exactly. Now, when are the times that you're actually told to shut up or be silent well, I mean, what I think is that those are the times when the self doesn't want to hear what I have to say. It's too scary. Right. How about when you're trying to meditate or go take a nap or <laughs> fall asleep or middle of the oh, night? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All those. <laughs> all those. You're not appreciated. Absolutely. So what does the self do to you when it's, upset with you for thinking too much or inundating it with thoughts? What, where does it place you? What does it do? Well, it tells me that those thoughts, me, don't matter, that um, this thinking isn't true. And so tells me that, you know, I'm, I'm not worth the words that are floating through the mind. Exactly. You're not wanted. So it's very often will disown you or put you actually down in what I call the basement. Uh, and they'll put you down there, and from the basement, when you're disowned, it's very difficult to function at 100%, isn't it? Absolutely. And you feel unappreciated. Very unappreciated. Right? So tell me what, from the basement... What would you like from the self? What would you appreciate? I would appreciate some acknowledgement that I have something valuable to add. Absolutely. So you'd like acknowledgement, appreciation, that you have something of value. Maybe you'd like to be honored and respected, maybe, maybe even loved. Absolutely. And the ways that you come out when you don't feel appreciated, when you feel uh, suppressed or repressed or put down in the basement, what are some of the ways as the thinking mind that you actually manifest, maybe covertly, maybe in an unhealthy way, maybe in an immature way? Well, when I'm not feeling listened to, then I will get into some level of obsessive thinking so exactly. to make sure that it i get heard absolutely 
Well, let's do this. Let's ask now to speak to you, the thinking mind that's fully owned and fully embodied so that you really appreciate it. So would you allow me now to speak to the thinking mind fully owned and fully embodied? So you are? I am the thinking mind fully owned and fully embodied. Okay, just take a moment, and I'd like our listeners to take a moment too, to just see what has just transpired when you, the thinking mind, are owned and embodied, appreciated, accepted, honored, loved, acknowledged. Just see what happens. It's hard to even talk, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, I, I, the thinking mind, fully owned and embodied, feel like I am part of something big. Exactly. I do feel appreciated. I do feel like I can work in concert with all the parts. Isn't that beautiful? I'll bet you feel poised and ready to think whenever needed, but also you don't probably feel anxious. Am I, am I right? That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I feel so grounded and clear and confident and available. Exactly. What, what we're going to do here is we're going to create a triangle. The triangle just is a, a, a symbol to think of your whole being, your whole body and mind, that you're the triangle. And we're, right now we're talking to the left-hand corner of the triangle. I'm going to ask to speak now to the right-hand corner of the triangle, which is the transcendent. And I'm going to give you a name, and the name I'm going to give you is the non-thinking mind or the not-thinking mind. So may I please speak to the non-thinking mind? You are? I, I am the non-thinking mind. Okay, now just take a moment. And I want to speak to you, the non-thinking mind, that's not also very awakened to or appreciated or maybe even disowned or down in the basement. And what that's like, that you're the non-thinking mind, the one that doesn't have to think, and she doesn't even know maybe that you exist, or if she does, she's put you down in the basement or somehow disowns you. What's that like for you? I feel discounted. Yes. I feel unappreciated. I feel like I don't matter. Exactly. So how are you going to function feeling unappreciated and that you don't matter? Well, I'll just be quiet. <laughs> exactly. I'll just, I'll just go away. <laughs> and you can't really offer much to her, right? Right. That's right. Well, if I were to ask to speak to you, the non-thinking mind, completely owned and embodied, would you allow me to do that, please? I am the non-thinking mind, completely owned and embodied. Just remain silent for a minute and see what it's like to have permission to not think and to be owned and embodied. 
to do your job, which is not to think. It feels expansive. I feel like I'm able to touch way beyond me, way beyond self. Absolutely. Keep going. Tell me what else you experience as the non-thinking mind. What's your relationship to everything? It's connected. I'm connected. I'm in everything. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm supportive and loved and supported back, and it's a very reciprocal relationship. Isn't it? This is the awakened mind, another name for the awakened mind. Hmm. Okay, I know that time is of the essence, so I'm going to ask now to speak to the apex of this triangle, and that is the apex embraces both the thinking and the not thinking mind, and we're going to give you a name as the apex. You embrace and transcend these thinking and not thinking minds, we're going to call you the truly non-thinking mind. So may I speak to the apex, the non-thinking mind, the true non-thinking mind, please? So you I are? Am, I am the true non-thinking mind. The apex. So I you embrace, yeah, so you embrace the thinking and not thinking mind and see what this is like. I feel still and expansive. I feel available and connected. I feel strong and confident. I feel ready. The word ready comes to mind. That's right. How about empowered? Completely. Completely empowered. There's no need to fight for position. That's right. So that's a little taste of the big mind process. We're out of time. That is amazing, Roshi. That is, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, um, I have to say I I took this very seriously and, and walked through this step by step and have... Everything I said has been me personally experiencing this process, and it was—it's really significant. It's deep and significant. It, it's really amazing. Well, you know, it took me nearly almost well thirty-five to forty years to get to where we just got you to in twelve minutes. <laughs> Well, thank you for that shortcut. <laughs> I mean, literally it did. I mean, the the triangle and the apex work is literally less than five years old. Mm. And I've been doing this nearly 40 years. So, you know, it, it took a long time for me myself to get to that place and to be able to really uh, come from that place, but also to figure out how to help others get there. Well, this is um, a gift to everyone to be able to explore uh, deeply 
into oneself in such a simple practice and to get to the resulting understanding and and it's not just understanding it's embodiment of that understanding it's much more than intellect uh, is phenomenal now, I know Roshi that people are going to want to know so much more about this how can they reach you well if they go to bigmind.org uh, they'll find uh, our website and there's a lot of things there that are available. We have, as I mentioned, we have live TV. Every Sunday mountain time, I give a talk, uh, 10 a.m. to 11.30 uh, a.m. And every Thursday evening from 8 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Uh, mountain time. And that's all free. They just have to hit bigmind.org, hit live TV, and they can watch it. The first half hour is uh, Sunday morning is a meditation, and they can meditate with us. And then from 10:30 to 11:30, I, I talk or teach. If I'm in town, if I'm not, Kyozen Sensei, my assistant, usually gives a talk. Uh, there's also DVDs that I've made thousands of hours of DVDs now that are available to people so that they can study at home and uh, all over the world. Because I have students, you know, all over. And so it makes it so they don't have to keep coming all the way to Salt Lake. Uh, they can actually practice at home. Uh, there's a Zen Eye on the, on the uh, big, BigMind.org, which has literally thousands and thousands of teaching hours that it's very cheap. It's $15 to go on, and they can uh, pick out teachings. Uh, that go all the way back. I don't even know how many years I've been teaching since uh, 75. Um, and then uh, there's live events. I've got one coming up in Los Angeles on the 23rd of October, 24th, two-day event. Hasn't, we haven't found where we're going to do it yet. Probably live Meridian in L.A., but that will be posted. Uh, I've got a lot of events coming right. up in November and December. So they just go to the website and they can find a lot of the, the stuff that is available. Fantastic. That's bigmind.org. Kenpo Roshi, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a wonderful gift. We appreciate it. And remember, everyone, to think big because the world will be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 